Father, we desire to be good stewards of the resources you have blessed us with. There are many obstacles that prevent us from honoring you and loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we ask for your Holy Spirit's power to um, open our eyes and soften our hearts as we learn more about your truths and how to fight um, the idol of things, um, materialism. So grant us your Holy Spirit's power here this evening. Um, help me as I attempt to, to teach on, on your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. In Matthew 19, we read about a familiar but a tragic interaction between Jesus and a man who had much wealth. Just then, someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all of these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go, sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard, when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Thank you. Why are Jesus' words so hard to follow? Our pocketbooks are not off limits when it comes to following Jesus. In fact, money is so central to discipleship, it meant the difference between obtaining or losing eternal life to this man. So, a question for us. Do we view money in this same way? One of the challenges with problems around money and possessions is that they are not always easy to identify. Like the proverbial frog that acclimates to the temperature the rising temperature to the point of maybe boiling water, we may not realize that we indeed are in trouble because the change has been gradual. We've just grown up thinking the way that we do. Before long, what we once called luxury becomes a need as we become more and more dependent on ourselves, on things and less dependent on God. What is materialism? In a dictionary, we find it defined as a doctrine that the only or the highest values or objectives lie in material well-being and in the furtherance of material progress. In other words, it's a value system that says that buying, spending, And accumulating is what is most important in life. Now, I think most of us hear a definition like this, and we say, wow, that is is wrong. But if you look at our lives, we often buy things because we think that they'll ultimately make us happy. 
Or they could be an escape from fear, fear of what others might think of us. We don't just use things, we entrust ourselves to them. And this is a role that should be reserved ultimately and only for God. So while our professed theology is dead on, our functional theology is full of holes. But instead of admitting it, we rationalize it. It's an investment. It's for my kids. It's for such and such ministry. And recognize that the miser may be even more materialistic than the spender. Instead of putting trust in the things he buys, he puts trust in the things that he saves. But in the end, it's exactly the same. Trusting the material world for security and happiness. Now, money in and of itself is not evil, but it can be likened to something like dynamite, which can be used for great good, as destructive as I know it can be. It can be used for for good things, but mishandled, it can do great harm. So we need to understand how to rightly enjoy material things and also understand how we mishandle material things. We are quite susceptible to doing nothing and being um, conformed, not confronted, being conformed to the way the world thinks. Instead, as it says in Romans 12, too, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to carefully examine God's word on the topics of money and our heart. So we'll start by looking at the right way we ought to value money and contrast it with the wrong way that we commonly value money. Then I think we'll be able to identify the problem in order to prescribe the best approach to fight it. So the main idea, you see it there in your notes, if God is your treasure, nothing can measure. To develop a heart that values money rightly and not tightly, we should apply God's wisdom to materialism. And we do this three ways. One, rightly enjoying material things. Two, truly recognizing how we make materials into kings, little k, kings. And three, constantly fighting against materialism's swings. Like if somebody's coming you coming at you in attack mode. That's the type of swing referring to there. So let's look more closely at our first point, rightly enjoying material things. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5 says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So when Paul wrote to Timothy, there were false teachers in Ephesus who assumed material things were inherently evil. They forbade marriage or the enjoyment of certain foods. The thought being, if you had 
the discipline to abstain, you were more spiritual. Paul not only thought it be a bad that that it be I'm sorry. He not only thought it a bad idea, but actually something demonic. On the contrary, Paul thought taught everything God created is good and can by you can be used by people for God's glory. So how does that happen? Well, we can see three things in these verses which help us enjoy material things rightly. You see there at the end of the verse, thanksgiving, the word of God, and prayer. So those aren't in your notes. You'd have to add them if, you're, if you are taking notes. And these three things help us to enjoy material things rightly. Thanksgiving, the word of God, and prayer. So let's look at the first one, thanksgiving. Materialism says you earn this, you deserve this, and not only should you take pride in it, you should strut your stuff. On the other hand, when we're thankful, we recognize that what we have is a gift, a gift which points us, it should point us, to a good and a very generous God. When we're thankful, we see our role not as an owner, but rather as a steward. The second thing that helps us enjoy material things rightly is the Word of God. It's through God's Word that God shows us how to use these things so we have no regret. God's Word helps us enjoy the meal, but not so gluttonous that we regret taking that third helping that we didn't need. It's also God's Word that helps us to see things in a way which helps us appreciate God all the more. To be in awe of a God who is creative, artistic, and the absolute perfection of beauty. And the third thing that helps us enjoy material things rightly is prayer. In prayer, we express our dependence on God to rightly enjoy that which He's provided us. So whether it's the simple prayer of thanks before a meal or a petition to use the gifts he's given us rightly, we recognize our need for him. Now, these things emphasize how to use God's gifts rightly, but is it right to say that we should, <coughs> excuse me, that we should enjoy them? Later on in 1 Timothy 6.17, we read, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. God provides us with everything, says there, as Tia just read, for our enjoyment. Just think about what that says about God. Wealth and possessions are so uncertain. Stock markets crash, cars break down. Technology becomes obsolete. To boast in them is to trust in something that we cannot rely on. Instead, we're called to hope in God, who never changes, never fails. And when we hope in Him, we will finally be free to enjoy God's gifts the way that He intended. And in this fallen world, we often get this backwards. 
trusting not in God but his um, but his gifts, making them into idols that we worship. And this brings us to our second point, how we mishandle and idolize material things. So if God is your treasure, nothing can measure. To develop a heart that values money rightly and not tightly, we should apply God's wisdom to materialism. And we do this by, one, rightly enjoying material things, which is, we just went over. Two, truly recognizing how we make materials into kings. Truly recognizing how we make materials into kings. Materialism places the wrong value on money and possessions. Vibrant colors, delicious food, beautiful music, sensual pleasure, and sweet aromas are all wonderful gifts from God to be enjoyed. Something which points to God, ought to point to God, and cause us to bow down in worship and response. And in the beginning, that's the way it was. Adam and Eve would likely eat an absolutely sensational piece of fruit or see one of many beautiful sunsets, and they were moved to praise God. And these things were never meant to be an end in themselves. But then sin entered the picture. And instead of treasuring God, we began to suppress the truth about his immeasurable worth and ignore him. As a result, the gift was valued more than the giver. And soon, we bow down to nice vacations, jobs that give us power and status, televisions, successful retirement portfolios, fill in the blank. What are the ways we do this? We idolize money and possessions when we trust them, them rather, rather than God, when our love for them rivals our love for God, and when we obey the world's rules for prosperity instead of what God calls us to do in his commands. Like food that would be, it gets unknowingly stuck in this beard of mine. It happens all the time. It can actually be quite difficult to recognize when we're idolizing things without looking in a mirror. That's what I'm always having to do or getting some outside assistance. (laughs) And we'll talk about that momentarily. So from time to time, it's good to take the time for an honest self-assessment. To help us in this task, here are five questions to reflect on as we assess for materialism. And you'll see those there in your notes if you open up your handouts. Question one, does owning X or desiring X distract you from what God has called you to do? And here's one of many examples of how it could play out. Um, Tailor it to something that you could relate to. Let's say someone is working um, really hard for a promotion, and that's at work, and that's not sin in of itself. In fact, it may be a way to provide better for someone's family, to be more generous, open them up to be even more generous than they're already being. But if this individual is ob- ob- obsessing on how to get the promotion to the point that it's distracting them from their spouse, from their children, neighbors, 
church family, all things that we're required to do, loving these individuals in terms of what God's command calls us to do. I'm idolizing, or this individual is idolizing their job. That's just in this particular example. If it's pulling you away from loving others in your life. In Luke 8, Jesus explains, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. Riches and pleasures can choke out God's word so that we are not fruitful. So the second question to reflect on as we seek to assess for idolizing things is, what do you delight in? Where does your mind wander when it's left unattended? All created things were designed to point to God, to funnel our affections, appreciation, and worship to Him and Him alone. And it's fine to get excited about following our our sports team, going to a favorite restaurant, acquiring um, new shoes, latest technology, something related to a, a favorite hobby that you may have. But when things become a cul-de-sac for our emotions, our affections, rather than a conduit for us to attribute all honor and worth to God, we have become idolatrous. In contrast, the psalmist was so satisfied in God, he was able to write in Psalm 73, verses 25 to 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Third question to consider. What are you so defensive about? When we are defensive about something being taken away or our hearts being exposed... It can often highlight an idol that we're building ourselves around. Something we are putting too much value in rather than God. Proverbs 13.8 says, The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor poor man hears no threat. Question four. How do you feel towards others who have more than you? We may covet what others have, thinking, you know, if I had what they had, I would be okay. Or, may, or maybe we go the other direction of being self-righteous, where we look down on others for being wasteful, or what we deem as being wasteful. Either way, if we try to justify ourselves through comparison, rather than Christ, we are being idolatrous. Romans three twenty three. 24 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Question five, how do you react when you feel insecure? Acquiring material things can be a right response to fear. So for example, I'm afraid of my house getting broken into. An appropriate response would be to help fortify appropriately Iron bars, which I don't know if, if that's such a smart thing, but security system, um, cameras, you name it. Maybe a, 
uh, big angry dog. <laughs> but then again, material things can offer false saviors as well. It's important to recognize that greed is not the only driving motive behind materialism. Fear can be as well. So fear of others' opinions of you can drive an individual to materialistic acquire clothes or cars or houses, you name it, that you may not otherwise want or even need. Fear of the future might drive someone to to hoard or to, to have savings that you may not necessarily need otherwise. Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. While the Lord is a strong tower, the rich only imagine their wealth will keep them safe. And one day they will learn the reality of Proverbs 11.4, which says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So again, if God is your treasure, nothing can measure. To develop a heart that values money rightly and not tightly, we should apply God's wisdom to materialism. And we do this in three ways. One, by rightly enjoying material things. Two, truly recognizing how we make materials into little kings. And three, constantly fighting against materialism's swings. And my guess is that to one degree or another, we all, we all struggle with materialism. So what do you do about that? Here are a list of seven things, seven ideas to consider. I know, sorry, we're, we're kind of pouring it on here in terms of... Um, Jabbing at our hearts. So the first idea. Treasure the excellence and beauty of God. Jesus reminds us that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. We often think of this as a warning about money. But it's also a truth about God. If we treasure Him, our heart will follow So work to treasure him. The God of the Bible is worthy of our praise, affection, and honor. It's only when we have a skewed view of God that our hearts find something else to worship. If we are to loosen the grip of, grip of materialism, it starts with having a correct view of him. That could include making reading and meditating on Scripture an unchallenged priority in your schedule. And as you read through God's word, pray that he would open your eyes and soften your heart. Regularly sharing God's good news, the gospel. Telling others the good news of Jesus is a sweet reminder of who he is and has a way of deepening our convictions. Read a good book with another member of the church. Books like R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God, John Piper's The Pleasures of God. And in, in particular, loan, learn to treasure the atonement, the death that Jesus died in our 
place. It's one thing to admire the eternality of God. It ties our brains into knots. But it can still seem somewhat academic. The atonement, though, is deeply personal and is the gateway to wonder at who God is. Passages like Isaiah 53, is listed there in your handouts, Romans 3, Ephesians 1, Psalm 22, are great tools to meditate to use to meditate on the beauty of Christ in the atonement. Second idea, fight for faith to rest in God. Whether it seems, whether it stems from greed or fear, materialism is always an alternative to trusting in God. So a good place to start in fighting it is to redirect our trust to God. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 are sweet verses. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do you see the connection here? If we rest in God's promise, he will always take care of us. Our lives will be free from the love of money. Psalm 62, 1 is a good goal. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Third idea is we throw these counter punches to fight materialism. Think about heaven. When we keep eternity in perspective, we see how foolish materialism is. In Luke 12, Jesus warned warned about the dangers of greed by telling a story of a rich man hoarding for the future. The man's goal was to be able to say this to himself. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. That's Luke 12, 19 to 21. We need to think often about the conversation we will have with Christ on our last day. Whenever you're struggling with anything, let the reality of that coming accounting help put things into perspective. If our goal is to be faithful with what we've been given rather than trying to purchase security, no matter what may come, our eyes will be fixed on heaven. Fourth idea. Confess materialism as sin. I think that sometimes we think of materialism as a behavior to avoid rather than sin deserving damnation. Oh, I probably didn't need such a nice watch, but I just, I just got carried away. It sounds so trivial, doesn't it? Watches may not be your things. May, your, may be your thing. It's not mine, obviously. But there's other things which I struggle with. But if materialism is in fact idolatry, then it is what much of Old Testament prophetic literature is aimed at. When you confess materialism, try to confess its root cause 
in your heart. Dig deeper. Is it that you're turning thing to are you turning to things to fight fear? Or to be happy? Or maybe it's something else. Figure out which of these general categories of heart issues you're up against will be helpful as you confess, confess, confess your sins to the Lord. Fifth idea, we've talked about this in previous weeks, give generously. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says, Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Notice how Paul says, we lay up treasure in heaven. Verse 19 makes clear, it is in this way, namely being rich in good deeds, being generous, being willing to share, God created us to love people and use things. Materialists do just the opposite. Love things, use people. When we give, we fight against materialism by using money the way it was supposed to, benefiting others, using it for God's glory. Giving fights greed because it is in giving we discover the truth of what Jesus taught. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And it fights fear by stating that we trust God and don't need that extra money that we have lying around. Signing that check is like signing your little declaration of independence from the almighty dollar. And a regular discipline of giving is a powerful tool to fight trust in the material world. Sixth idea. So the back of your handouts now. Create a budget. Proverbs 27, 23 to 24 says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. We talked about this in the third class. Having a budget is a great way to know where your money is, and where it is going. Not only is it a great tool to be strategic and powerful, and prayerful, rather, about our finances, it can also squash fear that comes up because you simply do not know the condition of your finances. And a budget could be helpful for managing one's desire to solve a happiness deficit through spending because it makes one's spending more measured and considered. And our last idea, as we look to fight materialism, talk with others about it. As with every other aspect of our discipleship, we need each other. So, to close, here's an idea of how it could look. Take time to do an honest self-assessment. I know we're throwing a lot of things here right now, but take some, take some time outside of tonight. Use the questions listed in your handout as you think through the different areas of your budget. How you spend, how you give, how you save. If married, you can do this together. And in the next month, sit down with a friend, not your spouse. 
share your self-assessment, but then cover a list of questions you would like the other individual to ask you. These questions aren't here, but these are some questions to consider. These could be embarrassing, uncomfortable questions like, what purchase decisions do you most regret? What purchase decisions do you most regret? Of course, not dwelling on that, right? Where are your weaknesses in spending money? Where are your weaknesses in spending money? <laughs> we're all laughing, right? We're, we're, answering, we're already answering these questions. How much debt do you have? What is your current plan to get rid of this debt? How much do you have in savings, investments? And what is the purpose for, for that money that you set aside? How much do you give? Invite their feedback on how you're currently giving, you're saving, and you're spending. With the aim of honoring God and being faithful. Make a plan. Maybe it's the first time you're making a budget, or maybe you're needing to tweak your budget. And then you act upon it. So in conclusion, as we fight materialism and learn to joy, enjoy things the way that God has set out, we will see our heart value money differently. We'll see money more as a tool rather than a solution that we ultimately trust. We'll hold onto money loosely yet responsibly, because we're stewards. Generosity being a good indicator for holding on to money too tightly. Our joy in giving a good indicator if we're being responsible or not. We'll see ourselves more and more as stewards who will give an account to Jesus rather than owners who think they're calling the shots. We'll see money as one piece of the stewardship puzzle as we seek to be faithful with all the time, talents, and treasures that God has given us. So let me pray, and then we'll open it up to um, Q&A. Father, we need to be reminded that we are in the midst of a war against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as we seek to worship you and not material things, help us to be good soldiers in Christ Jesus as we deny ourselves and our sinful desires. We need your help to be good stewards of your wealth for the purpose of spreading your gospel for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Questions, comments. I think it was helpful, the reminder of what are you thinking of when you're just there with your mind. That was rebuking because I was like, what do I think of? And just seeing how 
like there's a tie there between like finding your satisfaction in the material. So I was encouraged by that. Um, I guess my other question, and it's not necessarily just for you, Ben, but I guess for everyone else, because I know um, like big purchases, like they're obvious, like where you do have to like maybe pray or whatever, but I feel like the smaller things, you sort of just don't really think about it. You just purchase them. And I guess, is there any practical ways or does anyone already do that like with the little things like I know you mentioned like prayer or like other things but um you know like buying a car I feel like you'd ask people you'd talk about it but like other things for like your home or your kids like you know I don't know how to practically put that into um into my life you know with like the more little things so I don't know if anyone has any things that they do that could be helpful have an, an idea. It's not something that that we've done, but I think having an, an idea to respond to that would be having a budget. So somebody would require having a budget, knowing where monies are going, and then asking someone to get their another you know church member to get their thoughts about it. I think that's one way to do it. And we talked about this in a previous week and how. How private our finances are. We're so open in, in discipleship and confessing sin when it comes to pornography, um, anger, the way we respond to life's stressors. When it comes to money, that's something that we, we tuck away, and it's something that we keep very personal and, and private. Um, so I think that's, that's one way. I don't know if other individuals have maybe something they've done or maybe some other ideas. Uh, Alyssa and I use uh, Mint.com, which is like an app, so it connects to all of our accounts. I think that's helpful to us because when we would buy things for like $20 on Amazon, it doesn't seem like much. Or when we eat out you know, on a regular basis, it doesn't seem like much. But then I think one of the last few like months we were looking at, we are like, how much do we spend on Amazon? <laughs> like hundreds of dollars or eating out, this is how much it cost us. So then that's where it's eye-opening, where like those little purchases that you just make and say, oh, it's like 20 bucks. And then when you see it over three months about how much hundreds of dollars it's actually cost, then I think you feel the weight of it more where it's like, we could have used that for like our rent money or to purchase this other big thing. So I think for me, that's where I have found something very practical and helpful, like a thing like that. So mint.com kind of creates categories for your spending and then you see how much of your money you're spending is actually broken down into percentage. So like 60% of this went to this, 30% of this went to that, and it gives you the total. So that's a very practical tool that we use um, that really is eye-opening to your spending habits. Yeah, I was just going to say in response to um, the little things, I'm not an impulsive buyer, but you know, for someone who might lean in that way, like they go and they see something and they got to have it right away. I'm the kind of person I kind of talk myself out of it, but I'd say in a practical sense, you know, I, I just give, give it time on the little things. If it's not something that is an immediate need, like we need a new area rug for our living room. We threw out the old one. It was smelling musty. Weeks have gone by. I'm just waiting until I can really find the right thing for the right price. So for me, time is how I address the little things, especially if it isn't something that is like an immediate need. But, you know, it's just, you know, that's that's just seeing how long can I wait? How long can I wait? 
you know, just, just giving it time and then, you know, letting that kind of simmer and marinate. And then, you know, if it's something that kind of keeps coming up as it's an, it's, becoming more of a, of a thing where, okay, we need the floor starting to get scratched or something, you know. So I look at it as a practical way, and I look at it in a frame of time and, you know, how long can I just wait and see what other things really are more on the forefront, you know, that really need to be addressed and how, how can, you know, prioritizing, I guess, you know, and really making a list of what is important now. And I'm just talking little things because mm-hmm. little things can just really, you know, add up. But... You know, that's kind of what I look. I, I do it in the time frame, in the framework of time and prioritizing and just kind of tackling one thing at a time. And some of the things on the list just never really get, you know, they kind of fall fall off because other things arise that are more important. But that's kind of, I make a list and check it twice. <laughs> yeah, it's encouraging. That's uh, teach, teaching discipline, self-control, patience. I think in light of that, it's the when the urgency, it takes the urgency out because sometimes things seem really urgent, like I need to buy this, and sometimes the urgent can um, bump out the important. So just making sure that urgency doesn't rule you, that's a good, good helpful word. John right there, John to John. Maybe last one so we could move to communion if that's okay. Unless anyone else has it. Yeah, just one thing to add to what Ben, you were saying. The first thing that came to mind was budget and for the little things, um, I think a budget's really helpful in not feeling guilty about purchasing things that you know you've already committed to. And I think the point of also creating a budget is you're, you're very purposeful when you create a budget, but not necessarily with the everyday small things. So I think a lot of that um, thinking and prayer comes, out, comes at the front end so that in the implementation, you don't necessarily have to think through every single $1 purchase. Mm. That's good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.